Welcome to another episode of Music Life Radio. I am your host, Dan Sauter. Music Life Radio is a free podcast available on iTunes and your interwebs at musicliferadio.com, and it features interviews and stories about and related to music. Today on Music Life Radio, we feature Bill Collins. Bill is a guitarist, singer-songwriter, and music teacher who has performed for over 35 years, playing everything from hardcore punk to children's music. He has made music with some of the best gigged in 16 countries and most of the U.S. states and holds more than 30 releases under his belt. In 2005, he began performing music that supports progressive political causes, especially the labor union movement. Eric Kaur interviews Bill Collins about his life and extensive musical career, and we capture a live in-studio acoustic performance by Bill playing songs from his latest project, Rabble Rousers. Sit back and enjoy another episode of Music Live Radio, this one entitled Rabble Rouser. And I'm here today with uh, Bill Collins from, where do I begin? We'll start with Bill Collins from Special Forces, then we'll go to Bill Collins from MDC, then we'll go to Bill Collins from Christ on Parade. No, no, no Christ on Parade. No, no, okay. There was a fang in there, and there was an intensified chaos in there, but... uh, Okay, but there's still more Bill Collins. There's still more Bill Collins. There's Bill Collins from the Swaggerts. Yeah, before the Swaggerts, if if we're going to go down the the Roots Rock uh, area, there was... uh, uh, the Big Bad Johns were before the Swaggerts. And then okay. in 82, when I was playing in my first punk band here, Intensified Chaos, I got into this this band briefly called the Wolverines for a while that had like Hector from the Zeros playing bass, and Hector Penalosa, and then Bruce from the Dead Kennedys was a drummer, like the original <laughs> the original drummer for Dead Kennedys. Oh, the original drummer, and, wow. Who I guess went by Ted on the record, but his name was really Bruce. Apparently he was... That's quite a twist there. That's... Yeah. that's- one yeah, more yeah, interesting punk names I've heard. You know, it's so so. Uh, while I was, yeah, I guess I was doing the uh, the Wolverines same time as I I was doing the Intensified Chaos stuff. Intensified Chaos is the first band on the Maximum Rock and Roll first comp. I don't know if I ever saw that one. Not so quiet on a Western Front. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah, I remember those. So, anyways, so Intensified Chaos is the first band on that. Oh, uh, wow. yeah, that's all that was ever released. But it's it's kind of a cool track. It's like forty five seconds long. <laughs> Uh, but anyways, the only reason I'm going back that far is at the same time, Wolverines broke up, and me and Hector from the Zeros, you know, the, the, the Mexican Ramones from San Diego, those guys, we started a rockabilly or a country band called Wildcat Crew, and we used to play with uh, with some of the other guys who were in punk bands that went country, like, uh, I don't know if you remember Rank and File, um, there, there was this LA punk band called The Dills. They went country and had a band called Rank and File, and their lead player was Alejandro Escovito. Now, 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 now he's like a, a solo roots roots guy. And, oh, okay, cool. And then that guy, um, there's a band called Silvertone, and Chris Isaac was the singer of. Oh, oh wow! And so we used to play with like Rank and File and Silvertone and bands like that, but that didn't last very long. The only reason I'm telling you about that is because, like, in my life. It goes back to like punk and country or like punk and like roots rock. Like they're sort of like parallel. And then 
later on, I would end up like with yet a third or fourth parallel, <laughs> yeah. you know, doing stuff. Because like I've been doing Irish music for the last ten years too, the Dammy Boys, and and then finally it all sort of culminated in the Rabble Rousers, my my pro labor union project. So yeah, it's it's funny because I've noticed over the years that a lot of punks also have this country streak that runs kind of parallel with them as they go along with their music. And I've noticed that as, as a kind of a common thread with a lot of people. So. Yeah, ain't it weird? Well, I figure it's like, you know, it's three chords, <laughs> you know, <laughs> sometimes two, you know. Yeah, well, I think there's a lot of elements in country that are similar in punk, too. There's a lot of the, it's just the angst is expressed in a different way, but there's a lot of, you know, and also the drinking songs and the, the, the effed up life songs and all that stuff. I, I think there's a lot that can be re- related to on those levels. <laughs> yeah. so. Except the politics are sometimes a little mm. uh, <laughs> at odds with each other. That's true. That's true. <laughs> if you don't love it, leave it. Let the song that I'm singing be a warning. <laughs> if you're running down this country house, you're walking on the fighting side of me. Yeah, there's a few weird twists that country takes that uh, I don't want to. There's a few places they go I don't want to go. So, but uh, so what got you into music originally? What kind of started it all off for you? The first couple of things I can remember was like my father, who didn't speak to me very often, did have an acoustic guitar. No, I got to ask you because you said you were born in Germany. Were yeah. you raised bilingual right away, or were you? You know, I must have been. I never. Re- I never. Remembered like making a switch. I mean, my mother spoke English. Oh, okay, okay. Because she used to like, I think she used to like work on like, uh, like Allied army bases, like after the oh, war. Okay. I mean, you know, she was like, she she actually moved from Latvia to to Germany during World War Two, like perfect timing, huh? So, yeah. But anyways, after the war, she ended up working in like I think it was English uh, army camps, doing like stenographer stuff, and then. So she used to speak uh, English with an English accent with a German accent at the same time. So it's kind of funny. <laughs> what was the question? Oh, how, how did I get into mo- how to get into? Yeah, movie? yeah, that's where we were. Yeah, I kind of took you on two questions there. So um, a couple of times, my fa- I saw my father pull out a guitar, and I remember like three songs that he played. Like the like two times I saw him play. And one was the, Re- the Yellow Rose of Texas. Mm, I remember that. One was like this funny song. He must have like sang it for his buddies on the bass or something. It's called, She's Got Freckles on Her Butt. She's Nice. <laughs> 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 and then there was another one, which was like a country waltz, except he sang like a chicken. So, uh, like. How do you sing like. Oh, okay. You know, like. And it's funny. So I thought, I must have thought on some level that was kind of cool. And then uh, I remember uh, like, like as a, as a slightly older kid, like hearing the monkeys play. And I thought that they were like really cool because they had their TV show and stuff like that. Oh yeah. And they all like lived in the same house and were like rock and rollers. And it was really cool. And uh, you know, I mean, and I thought like, wow, I want to be in a band someday and live in a house with like my best friends and make music, you know? And um there's that, and then I saw one of my buddy's friends play Wipeout on the electric guitar, and I'm like, that was like really, you know, that was really it. Like, like wow, I really want to do that. That was like so cool. 
Now, were you living over there, over here, by that? Oh time? no, I was living in in Benicia, in California, at the time. Okay, okay. So I must have been probably like fourth or fifth grade when I started like really noticing music, and then uh, like later on, I sort of turned to the guitar as a way to like. Uh, get away from a lot of people that I hated. Like it was kind of like a, a little redneck town at the time. And so I found a guitar teacher, luckily. And uh, that, you know, created my own, like my own personal world, which is what we can do with music sometimes. Right. Oh yeah. And uh, I was, I was lucky. My big sister, five years older than me was of an age that she was getting asked out a lot. And she liked me enough to uh, include me on <laughs> on some of these dates. Like, so yeah, I'll go out with you, but my little brother's got to come, you know. And so she would take me to these shows at like at at, at Winterland. Oh wow! And uh, you know, so I got to see like you know Deep Purple on the Machine yeah. Head tour. And oh my god, that must have been amazing! Grand Funk Railroad, you know, like early on. So I, this was like the, the probably late sixties, early seventies. I was like much too young to be going to these things. But oh, you know, I skipped an important thing. My first, my first ever concert. My mother took me. I was in seventh grade because I heard there was going to be a free concert near the town where we lived, and my buddy and I were going to ride on bikes to go check it out, right? And then it got moved, and it was like too far to ride on bikes. So I asked my mother if she'd take us, and uh, it was this free Rolling Stones concert. That ended up Altamont? Altamont. Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> that was that was my first ever experience to like wow. like real life. Were you music. there for that? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, we didn't stay till the Stones, but man, you know, you know, afterwards, I mean, there's it was it was pretty wild. It was pretty wild. You know, my little, you know, fairly just off the boat European eyes like got like really really wide. You know, uh, I'm like this is pretty cool. Because all these people were were like other than the small town people that I lived with, you mm-hmm. know, you know, messed up as some of these people were. I mean, like some of these were like naked bikers, like big old beer bellies, dragging around like you know gallon jugs of Red Mountain Burgundy. I don't know why I remember that particular thing, like hollering obscenities and like you know people. I don't know, smoking this and snorting that on either either side of us, and, and my mother's like. Oh my God, where am I? <laughs> you know, what am I doing in this country, right? And uh, you're, you're lucky she was innocent enough to actually take you. you know? Oh yeah, oh yeah. And yeah, my father was long gone by this point, but you know, I guess I got to hand it to my mother. She was pretty game. Um, but like, we didn't stay for the Stones. We saw like some of the bands, and then and then she's like, it was starting to get dark. And she's like, we got to get out of here. And I was like, oh, but mom, you know. And then on the way home, she's like, you know, Billy. I took you to this place to show you that that there's people in the world you just don't want to be like. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and you know, and inside I was going, man, that was so fucking cool. I can't wait to go back to one of those things again. So I guess um, maybe that's the you know that's that's sort of the crux crux of the answer of the right the question that you were getting from, or uh, you know trying to get out of me, but. You know, so then my sister really started taking me to gigs when she realized that how much I loved it and stuff like that. And um, so it was pretty cool. So I got to see a lot of big bands when they were, it was, things were still pretty low tech and they didn't even like mic the amplifiers like for Deep Purple or something. Mm-hmm. They just turn it way up like on the amp, you know, and um, it's 
pretty cool stuff. And then, uh, you know, I don't know. I got through high school, like playing the, you know, playing the guitar a lot. And then I, uh, after high school, I, uh, I heard that, that Eric Clapton hold himself up in an apartment for, for a year, just practicing and creating his own style. So I'm like, that's what I want to do. And, uh, so I tried doing that. How, how many days did that last? Well, it actually, it, it lasted a lot of days, but I was determined to create my own style to the point that I wasn't going to copy anybody. Right. And that's like, you know, I ended up wasting a lot of time. So, um, but at least, yeah, I convinced myself I was a serious musician and I must have convinced some other people too, because, uh, I met some guys at a singing class at Laney College and, uh, we played some and then they ended up inviting me to go and join them on their trip to Montana where they were, they were moving to Montana to be a rock and roll band in Montana because there's no competition in Montana. <laughs> wow. This was back in 76. Wow, and, they must uh, have smoked way too much weed to come up with that idea. Well, a couple of them were from there, you see. Oh, okay, so, okay. so they knew what it was like. And um, that was in 1976. That was 35 years ago. Yeah. So uh, so were you living in Oakland at that time then? Or? I was living, yeah, before I did that. That trip, I was living on 40th and Telegraph. Okay. Well, actually, Ruby and 40th. Okay. Like in, in North Oakland. And so, the, basically, like, your influences then would have been more like the classic rock of the time period. And, well, let's see. We, which we didn't call classic rock, but it was just rock. I it remember was, we played Johnny B. Good sometimes three times a night. We had to play, like, three sets, you know? And uh, I was, like, a big Neil Young fan. At the now, time. were you doing we a bar like band at this time? Or? Yeah. Were you, okay. Yeah, Cinnamon Girl. We lived on a ranch outside of Livingston. Oh, so you actually went with them to Wyoming, to Montana? Mont- yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I was up there for like five or six months. Yeah, and it was it was kind of cool. I turned nineteen up there. Drinking age was drinking age was nineteen, I think. So, okay, woohoo! You know, yeah. but no, not that I drank that much or anything. I was I've always been kind of lightweight, but um, yeah, it was it was a real it was a real teenage adventure to do that, and then I. There was this girl I really liked back down in the Bay Area, though, so I came back. But, you know, so so what was the changeover from, like, playing this bar band stuff? You know, I used to like the Allman Brothers. You know, mm-hmm. I liked Southern Rock. And, uh, oh, I still turn it up when they tell me, when, when, when Leonard Skinner comes up. It's a yeah, turn oh. up. I'm like, I just automatically, my hand reaches to the <laughs> dial, and it's turned up. I can't help it. I, I used to sing Simple Kind of Man, right, in Montana. <laughs> simple. I remember, like, one day we were playing this party outside, and my voice cracked on the high note, and I'm like, oh! <laughs> <You know? laughs> but the cool thing about it up there was, like, they, they were indeed so starved for culture that even as, like, while we were, like, learning our craft, because we were pretty bad when we got up there, um, they thought we were great. We were, like, stars and stuff like that. So they were right about, you know, no competition up there. So anyway, so I came back down from Montana, and I... You know, started playing in like different bands, and I got I got played with some really good guys who were like into fusion music, and they gave me the like the dummy parts on the bass to play. But I I realized I didn't really like that complicated stuff. So I'll tell me what you consider fusion music. Fusion I, music, uh, Jan Hammer, uh, Jeff Beck, you know, oh, Blow okay, by okay. Blow, uh, right. Dixie Dregs, uh, boring shit with like too many changes. Kind of, I mean, I don't know. That's uh, no, it's like tech technique stuff like Joe Cetriani is kind of like where yeah, it's like exactly, they're technically exactly. really really good and it's just really boring to listen to. Exactly. So so 
at the time, you know, I was at this point, like we also did, Stuart was still doing like some Almond Brothers stuff and like some of my own stuff, but then they would like do this, like this fusion stuff. And, you know, everybody had long hair still and stuff like that. And then there was a big turning point for me around like 78 or 79. Uh, my girlfriend at the time, Patty, was like getting into bands like Elvis Costello Graham Parker and the Rumor. It was like sort of like hard-edged pop. They called it pub rock from um, you know from England, and somebody ended up having like a free ticket for for Graham Parker and the Rumor at I think it was like at Zellerbach or something in Berkeley. Mm-hmm. And I took mushrooms <laughs> and I went to go see Graham Parker and the Rumor, and it was like no long guitar solos. It was three minute songs. When there was a guitar solo, it was like you know five seconds long. You know. Um, real tight arrangements, you know, two guitars, you know, real gritty voice singer. I'm like, wow, you know, I don't think I like long jams and very complicated music. I like stuff that has like really goes for the gut. And so I ended up starting a band with some guys that played like that type of music and the hair, the hair just, the hair just got shorter and shorter. Yeah. We we used to do a lot of stuff by uh, Dave Edmonds and Nick Lowe. They had a group mm-hmm. called Rock Pile. We did yeah. a lot of Rock Pile covers yeah. and and Graham Parker and and I was writing songs in that genre. And then so so I was already like on the on the way downhill, like you know down the punk slide, you know. And uh, at the alternative school where I taught, uh, which is now called Holden School, it's in Orinda. Oh, so you were teaching back the, back then? Right? I was a student at the alternative school before I was a teacher, yeah. I graduated okay. from there in 1975. Oh, wow. Right before I went to Montana. And, uh, yeah, and I came back and I volunteered teacher, taught, and then they, then they gave me a job eventually. So I actually taught there for a long time. But I remember like 1981, 80, 81 was the year that the punk started coming. And, uh, started to get some, some real hardcore, little punks like maybe if you didn't know how sweet they were you know you might be scared if you saw them on the street if you were like if you didn't know what the scene was all about and so we had a whole bunch of punk rockers and they started like uh bringing me stuff for guitar class to learn like exploited and gbh and sex pistols and oh so you actually got turned on by your students Mm -hmm. that's really cool Mm -hmm. and uh yeah, and like one night they asked me if I wanted to to go to a gig with them, you know, and and I, I mean I'd seen the Ramones and stuff, but that's like you know, not really the same as like you know getting dragged along to a punk rock show in San Jose where Social Distortion and Los Olvidados and Ribsy are playing like a real underground mm-hmm. like it was like a, in a big it was in a big hall, but it was like all hardcore punk rockers, you know, and uh, I totally fell in love with that music. And um, one of our students, actually, it turns out that they didn't particularly want me to go along so much as they needed to ride. <laughs> <laughs> a typical punk hey, rocker. Whatever gets you there, you know. Typical punk rockers, right? But one of our students, this guy, Rob Noxious, um, who looked just like Sid Vicious and spoke with a phony English accent even, although he was from Orinda. That was the guy that had the really tall hair, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I remember him. He was getting ready to... Uh, to record um, something for this maximum rock and roll compilation, mm-hmm. and he used to go and DJ on on the the actual program sometimes. Like Tim Yohannan thought he was funny, and you know Jeff Bale thought he was funny, I guess. And they let him, you know, spin some tunes up there. And 
I was his guitar teacher. And um, he was so punk, though, that he punched a wall like the week before he was supposed to go and record. And uh, he had a cast on his on his fretting hand. So he asked me if I would do the recording with him. <laughs> so that's how I got to be on song one, side one of the first Maximum Rock and Roll compilation. That's really cool. And that's actually my first record that I was ever on, too. Wow. So it's like all that other stuff was just build up to playing punk, I guess, you know? Yeah. You had a good solid background to get you there. Yeah. The funny thing was, you would think that, like, I would know how to, like, play any kind of punk music. But that wasn't wasn't the truth. I had to continue... I had to continue learning from my students, um, like how not to overplay, how to keep it simple and to the point. And um, there's a, a couple of guys that, that, that went to the alternative school, like had another band uh, called Deadly Rain, which is going on at the same time. And um, I'd give them guitar lessons because they knew how to play the Deadly Rain songs really well, mm-hmm. but they all, you know, they loved bands like... Uh, God, what are some of the like the new wave of British heavy metal? No, what what, what are some of the, the the old British Iron Maiden? They love oh, okay. Iron Maiden and stuff like that. Greece. So I had to like figure out Iron Maiden stuff to show right. them. But anyways, so like I'm asking them like because you don't want to admit that you know less than your students about certain things, right? I'm like, so like uh, so uh, Jack Mason, um, so what kind of scales do you base your Deadly Rain songs on? Is like scales. it's like we just kind of do this and they were like playing shapes on the guitar neck to use power chords around Mm -hmm. the shapes they weren't worrying about like you know what's a c major scale or a minor scale it was like you know okay well you know for this song we play this little box fifth fret sixth fret and over (laughs) to the next string sixth fret fifth fret you know and then you know the chorus is this longer sort of rectangle you know and i'm like wow Punk theory. How cool is that? So then, this this sounds like one of our d- days of this. When we practice, I'll bring in a song I've written. They're like, "What are the chords?" I'll be like, "Well, it looks like this." <laughs> okay, well, punk you know. theory, huh? Yeah. So I had to learn some punk theory, and you know, and so I think I think eventually my students ended up, besides uh, you know, influencing me quite a bit, helped make me a lot more well-rounded and open-minded, and you know, I realized around that age that. I, I found myself thinking a lot, saying, thinking in my head that like I know more than these guys because like I'm five years older, or <laughs> and at a certain point I realized, man, I'm becoming an old fart at, at like age 24, you know, something like that. And so I I realized that a a good thing to do was to recognize that and just not become one. And I think that. You know, as you get older, if you if you realize that in order not to make the same mistakes that previous generations have made, you have to allow yourself to learn stuff from younger people. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes considerably younger people, then, you know, you probably won't be at least as much of an old fart. And I think that maybe that's one of the reasons I have so many younger friends, because, you know, I'm not like trying to act like I outrank them or something, <laughs> you know, like, which seems to be like the case with, you know, in, in society. Well, you're, you know, you're only 15 and I'm 25, so uh, fuck you. <laughs> I'm right. I'm yeah. more right. And I always will be more right because I'll always be 10 years older than you. You know, that's, yeah, like, that's, that's <laughs> like I'm teaching right now and I walk into the classroom and I have my agenda and then I see where they want to go. 
And sometimes we actually somewhat follow my plan. But a lot of times it's really about where are we going is dictated by what they really want and what they really need. And there is kind of that organic give and play. But I, yeah, as a teacher, I learned so much from my interactions with them. It's amazing. And if I went in and just tried to hold them to my agenda, my class would suck. I mean, it would just be so boring and so lame. So I totally hear you on that. Well, you know, the thing that the youth have is like, what's, they're like, I mean, what's cutting edge is just like, you know, present time for them. Mm-hmm. Right. And we have to remember that. I think doesn't mean they're always right, you know, but um, we could, my, my point is just, we can like learn a lot from them and not forget that that's a good thing to do. Yeah. As we get, work our way up to the rebel rousers where you're at now, mm-hmm. what are some of the high points in there for you? I mean, what are some of the things that, that really stand out to you or that if somebody was going to look at like, if you were going to just give somebody a synopsis of what you've done, that was really important to you and really significant. Are you talking about the rabble rousers or just the things that have left led up to that? Cause I really want to oh, talk. Oh. I really, cause what you're doing now is really, really important work, but I kind of want to give you a chance to kind of like fill in the blanks for people who are just getting to know you mm-hmm. through this right now. Well, you know, after intensified chaos, after I left the band, cause I don't know, I got, you know, I kept getting yelled at by Rob the singer, <laughs> you know, like, and it was your like former very, student, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah, and he was he was like fairly high strung, and he he wouldn't just say, "Hey, Bill, can you do that a little bit different?" He's like, "Bill, what are you doing?" In my ear while I'm playing, right? And I'm like, "Okay, I don't really need to do this." So I um, I thought I'd start my own band. There was this uh, there was this guy who worked at Seven Eleven on Telegraph near the near uh, Berkeley campus. He was like one of the most striking looking people I've ever seen. He was like a uh, tall, very physically fit African-American guy, um, worked behind the counter at 7-Eleven, and he had like his triple mohawk, and I think he wore sunglasses like in the 7-Eleven, and he was like, seemed very angry all the time. <laughs> and I was jamming with his, with his bass player, and we were like, coming up with some tunes and you know, I knew I could never be a punk singer. Like I could write, I could write the music, but I'm like, I want somebody who really seems to be from the scene and could be probably a great front man. And so I gave this guy at the Seven Eleven, whose name happened to be Orlando X, um, a cassette of like six songs that we had come up with. And I'm like, uh, I went and introduced myself to him. Oh, so you didn't actually know him or anything? No, I didn't That's know him cool. or anything. I think like maybe he, you know, I seen him with some of my students or something like that. And I'm like, I'm like, hey. He's like, Ugh. I'm like, you know, we're uh, putting a punk band together and uh, we're, you know, auditioning singers. And if you're interested, here's a cassette tape of some music. Uh, you know, if you're interested, put some lyrics to him. And we'll, you know, we'll try you out. And uh, I don't remember how much time transpired from that point until we had our first, like, band rehearsal. But he came down and he had all of those songs down wow. with lyrics. And we had, like, a great songs. Like, let's see, one was called uh, Government Games and one was called Fucking Cops and one was called Maggots and uh, Death on Holiday um death and havoc i'm like these are like pretty (laughs) 
pretty punk songs, you know, and uh, Orlando just whipped them right out. And, uh, you know, he had this like real massive, massive presence, you know, and, uh, you know, I, I thought, you know, was really, really good punk singer. And, and plus he knew everybody in the punk scene. Everybody wanted to see him up on a stage. And so we like, we had people coming to see us right away. And um, it was good because, like, God, our first gig was with Toxic Reasons. Um, oh, God, that's one of my at favorite this, bands. At a place called Receiving Studios. Their and, album, Killed by Remote Control. Yeah. It's still one of my all-time favorites. And then, like, I think our second gig with, like, was with, like, Discharge <laughs> at Ruthie's Inn. And, you know, we ended up playing with all these really great bands. Do you remember Stuart, who used to do the booking at Gilman? He used to tell me stories about Orlando and how Orlando would come into Gilman, pick him up, carry him into the booking room and say, all right, you're booking us. When are we playing next? And he's like, of course I was booking them. I had to. It's Orlando. Here's a band Special Forces with Make the Leaders Fight. It's really cool. It's like, you know, if I look at a compilation of like of stuff or if I look uh, like on like releases in the back of Ma- Maximum Rock and Roll or something, there's usually, you know, at least like one band that I've played in the band with or like, you know, shared a bill with or like know somebody in the band or something like that. I mean, we played a whole bunch of shows like Special Forces did and started to get pretty good. I mean, we went through some different members. We had... Uh, Towards the end, we had Dave Chavez on bass, you know, from Global oh, yeah. Abuse, Code of Honor, and 
Uh, Tom Flynn was was bass player for a while. He was the original guitar player from Fang, and he's just an amazing musician. And we had a really kick-ass female drummer too, um, Anna Chapman, who was Deadly Rain's old drummer. She's like a really wild, really wild thrash drummer. And uh, but I don't know. It was just being part of of that scene was was just. It was a real lifestyle. It was a real lifestyle. You know, you went to the gigs every week, you know, and, you know, you you hear stuff about people that happen. It's like hearing about stuff that happened to your family, you know, it's stuff that will get you real, like, you know, excited or pissed off or something like that. And then we broke up and, um, you know, big period of depression because we were just Get, starting to get like really popular. One of our last gigs was we played this Right to Harvest festival at Civic Center in um, in San Francisco, mm-hmm. and uh, then we played with his band Legacy and Sacrilege up at the River Theater in Guerneville. And you know, so like we were like metal people were coming to see us, and like you know, all kinds of people were seeing us. And then we just you know. When, you, when you're that close with band members and traveling around and having rehearsals and stuff like that, a lot of times just, you know, there's clashes of, of opinions and stuff like that. And, you know, I think when Orlando yelled, oh, I quit, and I yelled, I'm glad, you know. <laughs> it was like, um, you know, it was, it was unfortunate, but um, it's probably healthy for both of us that it, that happened at the time. But he ended up keeping the band going for a while. And um, I got asked to join Fang. And Fang said, you know, guys in Fang called me up and said, hey, you know, we're going to do a U.S. tour and then we're going to do a European tour. You want to go? I'm like, yes. Yes, yes, indeed. I ended up doing four Fang tours. Oh, wow. And then after all that Fang shit hit the fan, like all the America's Most Wanted stuff and all the bad junky stuff um then mdc asked me to join and so i did a couple mdc tours an album with them you know i did two albums with fang one that never got released um and then i ended up having a kid and so that was in 1990 i and shortly after that i moved to connecticut um and I didn't get another band till 97, which was the Baltimore Foot Stompers, mm-hmm. which was like Connecticut street punk. We had uh, Al, the singer from The Pissed, uh, playing bass, and this guy Jim Martin, the singer from this band Broken, who's like pretty well known these days, being our singer. And and uh, the, the problem was like trying to play uh, like like punk rock over there. The scene was much smaller. And oftentimes you'd be playing these basement shows for the other bands. And it was like a real, it was too much of a contrast from like, you know, playing for like a thousand people in LA with MDC, you know, to playing like, you know, Joe, Sam and Bob, you know, <laughs> from the no names, you know, in, in somebody's played basement. enough of those shows, yeah. I'd... And then when you do get a good club gig, then like... It, it seemed like the, the audience was like, you know, so many of them were like 15, 16 years old, and I didn't have anybody to talk to after the gigs. And plus, there were no girls. There were no, no women. Um, like, my wife and I divorced out there in, in New Haven. And, um, and I'm like, geez, this is not the best scene for me to be in because I'm 
playing punk rock and the only people I'm encountering are like 15 year old boys. (laughs) (laughs) And so these guys in this band, um, in the record, in the rehearsal studio next to us, the big bad Johns, um, I started to go see them play. They were like pretty strong rockabilly country, you know, with sort of punk edge too. Used to start going to their gigs and like, wow, they had, you know, women my age. Like, you know, I'm like, hmm. Cause, you know, I had played rockabilly stuff before. Right. And so their, their, uh, guitar player was on the way out. And so they asked me if I'd play some gigs with them. My first gig with them was, uh, opening for Dave Alvin of the Blasters in Richmond, uh-huh. Virginia at a, you know, one of these festival sort of things. And it was kind of a proud moment for me. Um, they, they had these, these, uh, these reader polls in the, in the local arts paper and like, you know, best band in each category. Mm. And so Baltimore Foot Stompers won the best punk, you know, the same year as uh, Big Bad Johns won like best roots music, you know? So it's like, I was in both bands at the time. So once again, we have the country and punk parallel. Big Bad Johns morphed into the Swaggerts. Swaggers play with people like Dick Dale and Link Ray and Hank the Third and Yeah, I really like the Swaggerts a lot. Thanks. Just- Our first gig, this is kind of a funny story. Uh, the Big Bad Johns had like a booking agent and stuff like that. Swaggers never did. But uh the Big Bad Johns got got booked into this gig in Nashville called Billy Block's Western Beat Rodeo. And they would have like all the famous Nashville musicians come is like almost sort of like a like a showcase sort of thing Mm -hmm. and you know you have like these the the most famous people in town playing too and so like um actually the first swaggerts gig was supposed to be the big bad johns playing at this thing but we didn't we never told billy block that the band had changed okay okay because we still had the bass player and the drummer from the from the big bad Johns, but not the lead singer and not the other guitar player. Oh, okay. So like we're out there ready to play. We were down there recording a Swaggerts album and just thought we'd like, you know, have our first live gig. Right. And it's in front of like people like the Dixie chicks are in the audience. I'm not like shitting, you know, it's no. like, like all these like heavyweight, like Nashville people are out there and, uh, I'm plugged in. I'm getting ready. I'm all nervous to play. And Billy block comes out and he's got like a promo picture from the big bad Johns. With only like one guy on stage out of the five, <laughs> who was the who was the bass player that's in that picture? He's like, he's like holds it up. He's like, look at us. Like, who are you guys? And it's <laughs> you like know? just without the makeup, you know. It's like who knows who they are, you know. It's- and yeah, I think like right after the who are you guys, our drummer, you know, count one, two, <laughs> one, two, three, and we went into like rock bottom, baby, you know, and like, oh my god. And you get a pretty good reception out there. Yeah, we got a really good reception there, and um, we we actually played at a at an open mic the next night. Like, uh, but like these open mics in Nashville, once again, are like you know, like like the famous people are up there. It's because it's the only gigs they can get, you know. Sometimes, yeah. but like you know, a couple of the Dixie Chicks came back and saw us. You oh, know? Wow. it was like, yeah. So that was like my first Swaggerts gig. I thought it was I thought it was pretty cool, man. We recorded a couple albums down there, and we were down there the the, the day Johnny Cash died and stuff oh. like that. And so that's all like you know, pretty interesting stuff. Um, but you know, a rockabilly scene. You know, I love the music. Don't necessarily mesh well with the politics of a lot of that stuff. There's like, you know, there's a lot. There's like some people. Some people like to dress like the fifties because they think it looks cool. Some people dress like the fifties because 
they kind of wish it was the 50s. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, we've we, we've <laughs> encountered that at gigs where we've done where we wound up playing with like rockabilly style band. Well, I was in a bar fight with a rockabilly style band once, and it got pretty nasty because they were they were stuck in the 50s. And we were their representative. That was when I was touring with the White Trash Debutantes, and uh-huh. so you can imagine oh, how well that went. Oh boy, that was a full that was a full on brawl. But oh, uh, the fifties did not win. Let's just say that, you know. <laughs> but so once again, here I am after gigs. I got nobody to talk to. Yeah, certain bands they just they reach a certain point, and then you're you're just not so interested anymore. You know, it's like for me, it's like if I do too much of like one flavor of music, I think that. Like some, it's like eating your favorite dish all the time. You get kind of bored of it or something like that. Mm-hmm. So that's why I keep – one reason I keep changing styles. But um, I got asked around that time – see, like around – okay, I wasn't just like playing Swaggers and stuff like that, you know. Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd do some solo stuff and like MDC would come to New Haven and I'd get up there and play some songs with them, yeah. you know. And, you know, or Neurosis would come through town and they'd stay at my house and – uh, or like Rancid, you know, would come through. And because when I was in MDC, uh, Matt from Rancid was a bass player. And so like that sort of helped kept me grounded in the punk scene and stuff like yeah. that. And, you know, I'd be in contact with some people out here like, you know, Kate Knox. And she was the one who tried to get me to go to the, the first like early Bob festival. She was telling me about that, the Brayman Oakland Bath yeah. Punk Festivals. And um, people were trying to figure out a way that I could participate you know even though i didn't have a band and stuff like that and somebody asked me my friend daniel from bremen's uh asked if i would be willing to play some acoustic guitar for a bunch of punks on a boat because they were going to like like charter a boat and go up and down the river and drink Mm -hmm. it's outside of bremen i'm like what kind of music could i play for a bunch of drunk punk rockers that they wouldn't like want to like throw you over the boat throw me over the (laughs) boat right and that's when the, the first germ of the idea of playing like Irish drinking songs popped into my head. Because it's like, you know, Irish folk music is about as close as you can come, I think, to punk music on acoustic guitar. I mean, just like, because like there's shouting, you know, there's drinking, there's fighting, you know. And so that was about, must have been about 10 years or more ago, I got to the point where I could start playing like Irish gigs. Mm-hmm. And I ended up, start uh, playing those for punk rockers and and indeed the punk rockers eventually came around to it and liked the shouting around and stuff like that oh yeah and now that i think there's like more people doing that kind of stuff too which i think is kind of cool so it it makes it easier for me to reach out to people like that but oh my god i got to tell you about my first ever official irish gig <laughs> this is pretty funny too this is to me it's like almost like the altamont story like i don't like start small I mean, it's not always like intentional, but um, there was this, I went through this really depressed time after my divorce. I go out and get really drunk. And then, you know, I'd be too like hungover to cook anything, but there was this little Irish diner, like a block away from where I lived. And I used to go in there, listen to the waitresses talk because they were all like probably like illegal and off the boat, you know? And uh, I started like getting like a crush on one of them. And so I thought like, wouldn't it be nice if I if I uh, got my Irish act together enough that I could go in there and uh, play some some Irish tunes on St. Patty's Day, right? And so like, and try to impress this waitress, you know, like who who knows? Maybe then I ask her out if right. I got my courage up, you know. And um, so 
I asked, I asked the people at, at the diner if I could do it. And he said, Oh, sure you can, Bill. Sure you can. All right. And so I was in there eating breakfast one time about a, like a couple of weeks after that. And it was a week to St. Patty's Day. And, um, this, uh, this, uh, you know, acquaintance of mine is sitting down next to me. Somebody who used to, uh, somebody who, who booked Toad's Place, a big club in New Haven where like the Rolling Stones played and stuff like that. And I'm saying, you know, hey, I'm, if you're not doing anything, I'm playing Irish tunes here on St. Patty's Day. She's like, huh, Bill, how would you like to open for the Clancy Brothers at Toad's next week? Oh, wow. <laughs> and I was like, oh, you know, like humming, 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 humming. I'm like, um, 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 um. Okay, let me go. Let me let me get back. I'll call you tomorrow. Right. I went right home. I practiced my set. And I said, <laughs> I gotta do this gig. If I don't do this gig, I'm like the biggest wanker in the world. And so I did it. You know, and uh, and it was great. It was great. It wasn't. It wasn't as good as. Uh, my next performance with the Clancy Brothers was, but um, the the after I played with these guys, I was invited to their after party, like the Clancy Brothers after party, which was pretty interesting. And I was told by the lady at the diner, everybody called her Ma. She's like, you know, when you get in there, you better be ready. They're all going to be sitting around the table, and what they do when the Clancy Brothers get together is they go around the table, and everybody either has to tell a story or like sing a song, right? And, uh, so just, just be ready. Don't let them take you by surprise. And so, um, after the show, you know, I drive over to where, where the bar is, this bar where they're eating, you know, it's after hours, it's, it's shut down and the door is closed and stuff. So I go to the bar next door and I down three shots of whiskey like really (laughs) fast before I like knock on the door and they're like, they're trying to send me away and like, Oh, oh, it's you. Come on in. So I step inside the door, and they're all like, "Hey, how you doing? That was a, that was a great set there tonight, there, Bill. You know, and now now give us a song, lad." As, as soon as I walked <laughs> oh in, and so I sang the song "Spansel Hill" a cappella with them. And, uh, you know, so it's, it was a really beautiful Irish ballad, and they joined in with me. Wow. You know, and it was like a real, like you know, magical kind of moment. You know, and sang the whole song with the Clancy Brothers. You know. Here's Bill Collins with his band Rabble Rousers doing Too Poor to Retire. All my life is in its twilight, with dusk not far behind. My whole life I've been hard at work, and I like to ease my mind. I labored in a hospital, the pain I'd sick to ease, and the years have taken a fine toll on my lower back and knees. I have a dream, I'm resting. To forget it might be the best thing I'm too poor to retire
as I gave them And they showed me the door With the pension that they gave to me To reward my servitude One hundred ninety dollars Don't you think that was downright rude? So my family, they says to me Come on, you can stay with us But I've always pulled my own weight And I hate for them to fuss So now I need a new job Before my savings to expire Looks like I'll keep on working I'm too poor to retire Looks like I'll keep on working I'm too poor to retire You've had a pretty epic career. I mean, just everything you've got. I mean, you've been... I mean, I, there's every band you've got to play with is really phenomenal. I mean, because I haven't always seen you in each carna- incarnation of it, but I've, I've I've got to I've seen Fang, I've seen uh, MDC. You know, I've you know, it's like all these are just amazing bands, and very few people have the opportunity to play in even one band that's produced these kind of materials, that's done this, has had the kind of impact a lot of these bands have had on people, and you've just had a series of really phenomenal experiences it's great it's really weird like it, it, it seemed like a lot of these i mean yeah thank you for for saying that you know it, it almost seemed like like a lot of these these bands that i got into i got into it like some of them were like at pretty low points like oh my god i'm so bummed out like before i got into fang after special forces broke up you know i grew up poor basically you know and i was sitting in berkeley with my girlfriend in a cheap apartment and like Every now and then I'd look wistfully at the map, you know, I'd look at oh, Chicago, New York, you know, you know, Tampa, all places I'll never see, you know, not to mention Paris, Berlin, you know, Milano, you know, and then just like feeling like broke and stuck and like depressed and, you know, and then it all changed with a phone call from Fang, you know, and it's like, hey, we're going to all of those places. Wow. You know? We're going to do, you know, three months in America and two months in Europe. You want to come? <laughs> you know, and, uh, you know, and, you know, anybody who knows the whole fang debacle, you know, story will know that that ended up in a pretty bad way. And um, then MDC asked me to play, you know, and then I got to do round two of Europe, you know, and um, so... You know, you just have to hang in there, I guess, you know. And then, you know, I went out to the the East Coast where, like, not too much was going on for me. So I ended up, you know, okay, the punk scene wasn't working for me. The rockabilly scene wasn't. So I'm playing my own, like, Irish stuff now, you know. And I played, uh, New Haven has the the third largest St. Paddy's Day parade in the U.S. There's, like, it's like Boston, New York, and then comes uh, New Haven. So I've been doing that for 10 years now. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, so then what ultimately got you into doing the union music that you're doing now, the labor music? So I think, I mean, I think this is some of the most important work that you, that is out there today. I mean, I think what you're doing is amazing. And I think these songs are incredibly relevant. So what, I mean, and I can see where doing the Irish music could lead into that. 
if you think about the politics of the situation, a lot of the bands that I played in were like political punk bands, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I mean, Special Forces, you know, 85, I wrote a song called Make the Leaders Fight, you know, and, you know, and let's, let's not forget MDC. I mean, you know, MDC's, <laughs> as far as lefty punk goes, that's a, maybe as far left as you can go. I don't know. Um, but, you know, e- even before then, I loved bands like when I was a kid, you know, I liked I liked the rock and roll bands that had like a political message. I loved War Pigs by Black Sabbath, mm-hmm. you know, Volunteers of America by Jefferson Airplane. Yeah. I liked the Fish Cheer by Country Joe McDonald, which is mm-hmm. the first time you had somebody like chanting "fuck," you know, like for a big crowd. And I I really enjoyed that energy. You know, I never really liked the Peter Paul and Mary that the, the sort of the soft folk stuff, even though it had like a large political impact. That stuff never appealed to me at all. I was like like Steppenwolf singing about draft resistors mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So it's always kind of been with me. Um, but, okay, this is so funny because I could say it was a girl's fault. Um, I was given guitar lessons. You know, I give guitar lessons and somebody called me up and said they wanted to learn. I'm like, well, you know, I usually have like this phone sort of talk with somebody. It could be like a half hour long, whatever. Longer if I'm a stone. <laughs> <laughs> but like she's like i want to learn union songs and i'm like union songs she's like yeah like preacher and the slave uh you know the popular wobbly and i'm like you know i don't know that stuff you know <laughs> but like i'm i'm sure you know it's like folk you know, like woody guthrie sort of stuff Three i can chord, show it to yeah, you it's- well i ended up marrying her <laughs> <laughs> This is my wife Gwen, and she was she had just uh, taken a job being like a union organizer for Unite Here Union, mm-hmm. and um, I had kind of become apolitical in 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 some ways at that time. I was so busy just like trying to survive in in New Haven myself. You know, it's like you know I kind of got dumped out there by my ex wife, and you know I was doing any kind of crappy job to survive. You know, in addition to the guitar lessons and stuff like that. You know coming home covered in mud from landscaping or, oh, my God, selling Alice in Bible Land books at a, a telemarketing place. <laughs> you know, Alice steps through her magic mirror and revisits scenes from the Bible. Now, aren't you interested? Wouldn't this be a good influence on your children, man? You know, and like, oh, my God, it was like, I would, <laughs> it, was, it was awful. I was like such a Bible book pimp for like, I don't know. Like I, I could a just few see our punk album actually starting off with that. You know. It's, oh it's my perfect. goodness! Home Depot. Oh my god, that was like oh god, all these. Awful I applied jobs. at Home Depot online once, and, yeah. and I actually never finished the questionnaire because the question that killed it for me went like this: At your last job, how many physical fights were you in? Zero to one, one to three, <laughs> five to ten. I'm like, <laughs> why the fuck do you have to ask me this question? I don't want to work there. You know. It's, but anyway, you know, I, I tell you, I kind of like lost uh, lost faith in politics. I think part of it was like, you know, I voted for Clinton the first time, but then he like, he did this whole like, I got to say, I think he was like, when he backed off on like gays in the military, mm-hmm. I thought he was like, you know, I voted for this guy. Fuck this guy. I'm not going to vote, you know? And then, you know, so I mean, I I think I missed the presidential election or something, or I, or I do like protest votes. I'd you know, vote for Jesse Jackson, you know, Ralph Nader, <laughs> you know, people who couldn't possibly win. But then, you know, I started to uh, 
through hanging out with Gwen, um, I started to see that the stuff that she was doing, like on a local level, was really actually making a difference. So, like when Yale tried to like tries to really expand into like a poor African American community, you know, instead of just like sort of like buying people out and then saying now the behemoth has advanced, you know, another mm-hmm. few blocks, you know, into wiping out neighborhoods. Her organization there called uh, CCNE, um, Connecticut Center for a New Economy, they actually organized the community in such a way that the next time Yale wanted to build something in their community, they had to make a deal with the community saying, okay, we're going to hire X number of people to work in this facility. And, you know, it was like a whole lot of things like that. So like, you know, I'm like, wow, this is really cool. Like, you know, People can sit down to boring meetings and, you know, that like, you know, I was like such a pessimist. I'm like, how can anything ever change, you know? But then I would see her, her group of people like doing this, like, you know, sort of door knock by door knock, you know, meeting by meeting. And, and I, I kind of like started getting less jaded. And, um, after a certain point, you know, I started, she wasn't, wouldn't discuss her work with me too much unless I uh, really asked her specific questions. And finally, I started learning more and more stuff about it. I started going to some of the meetings, and I'm like, man, these meetings are fucking boring. They need some music, you know? <laughs> and I don't mean like when all the hippies stand up and hold hands and go, we shall overcome. And all the young people in the room go, oh, God, you know, like, and they're like, <laughs> lo- like looking for the door, you know, and. So eventually I started writing songs that I thought might sort of like perk up these events a little bit, you know, and um, I decided that, that maybe I could, I could do like an album's worth of music that's like new labor music that doesn't sound like it was, you know, recorded in the 40s or, or the 60s and it wasn't too soft. It was maybe something like edgy enough without being punk. It had like nice melodies and, you know, picket line chants in there and maybe you might be able to make a difference. My idea was to have something out released before the 2008 presidential election that could help Obama get elected. Or, or at the time, it was like whoever the Democrat was right, going right, to be. Right. <laughs> right. I recorded in Germany. I recruited people saying, hey, listen, if we can, you know, sort of help sway people with music to get a good guy in office, then we're actually helping to change the world because, like, you know, as America goes, sort of so does the rest mm-hmm. of the world. And so I recorded these uh, these guys from this this uh, German. I recruited these guys uh, this German roots rock band Velvet Tone, and uh, on bass and drums. And I got like probably Germany's most famous punk rock guitar player. He's like Joe Strummer or something over there. This guy named Elf from this band Slime. Uh, mm-hmm. Like Slime was a punk band that started in '79, and you know they're the equal of any punk band in the world. Um, except they sing in German. So like they're kind of stuck to the German speaking countries. Right. Yeah. And I mean, they've, they've broken up and reformed a bunch of times and they're actually right now they're going through a, you know, a whole like reunion phase and playing stadiums for like 30,000 people in Germany. Oh, wow. I've always loved punk rock sung in German because it's such a great language for it. Like I remember years ago, find this band Bluntenissen. Uh huh. And that was just really that there's something just profoundly edgy about hearing it in that language. It was incredible. It's a good martial language, yes. It is, yeah. 
So, and just to, just to com- complete things, I had uh, this guy that I was doing Irish music with sometimes, Gary McConney, in on, on banjo and guitar. And then there we had the whole mix, okay? We had, we had the Roots guys, the Irish guy, and the punk guy, and we're all playing union music, right? So that's kind of like everything that I'd done before kind of, should be, you know? kind of came together, you know, in this yeah. project. I guess, I guess my target audience was probably more like, you know, people of European descent because it had like really kind of this Irish sort of a thing, mm-hmm. like Irish and country sort of a thing, really a lot of it. The funny thing was um, after I recorded the album, I went in and volunteered in Virginia for Obama for two and a half months because, uh, you know, we're doing voter registration down there and ended up registering a whole bunch of people. Um, but a lot of the people that we were registering were African-Americans and they didn't respond so well to like the the Irish and the country influences. Mm -hmm. So I had to think about things that I could do that would appeal to an entirely different demographic. I mean, before I was playing what I knew. Okay. And then like after two and a half months in Virginia, I started hearing different things and um, seeing what, what people responded to. And the first song I wrote, after Virginia or like during Virginia was a reggae song and people were digging that, you know, mm-hmm. and, you know, solo reggae guitar. Then, then we do the do, 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 do sort of beat, you know, for like to have the group of like door knockers, like sort of chant along and stuff like that. And, you know, now I, I've got a song that's, it's kind of like, it's almost like the, you give me fever riff, you know, mm-hmm. boom, 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 boom. Just got to play for the demographic, right? But I never, I never really know like who's going to be in the audience. So it's always like tricky, like what songs am I going to, you know, have to perform or like what, uh, what's going to work with with various people. I started putting picket line chants to music too. You know, we are the union, union, you do it, you know, stuff like that, and. And I had this calypso that I wrote, put the car in D for the midterm elections. And so, you know, I don't know. I guess you're only limited by your imagination sometimes, you know. I'm still writing these songs. Kind of tired of my repertoire again. So, started writing punk songs again. (laughs) So, it's like, it's coming back around to that, you know. Um, Yeah, my newest one is F-U-C, the Tea Party. Any... Nice tea party people are out there listening. Well, there's no, I mean, just like how it's supposed to sound. F-U-C. Okay, maybe I don't spell too well, but <laughs> F-U-C, the tea party. Um, so now I'm spending more time in Oakland again. I want to start visiting out here more. And like my friends here play some, play the best punk rock on the planet, you know, I think. And oh, so yeah. once again, I'm getting influenced by the punks. And so... I know it's like a big old mishmash. I don't know how to write my bio because it's like, it's too convoluted, you know? I don't know how to do it. My my success has mostly been, you know, in the places I've traveled, people I've played to, people I've met and stuff like that. I mean, I've never really made much money doing this, but there is one bit of success that I can share with you guys, um, which is off the Rabble Rousers CD. There's a, a Woody Guthrie song that we cover, Union Made. And HBO is going to use it for one of their episodes oh, wow. of a new show called Enlightened, starring Laura Dern. It's a new HBO series in there. Uh, finally, something, I don't know, like, why something mainstream like that would seem like it's, like, some sort of, like, 
you know, a milestone or something. Maybe just like recognition from, um, you know, from a recognized, you know, source is, it's kind of cool eventually. Oh, yeah. Know? And here are the Rabble Rousers performing Union Made. There was the Union Made who never was afraid of boots and the gigs and the company things and the deputy sheriffs who made the red sea wet. The Union Hall, when a meeting it was called, hot when those legion boys came around, she always stood her ground. Oh, you can't scare me, I'm sticking to the Union. I'm sticking to the Union. I'm sticking to the Union. The day I died. This union mate was wise to the tricks of the company spies. She couldn't be fooled by the company school. She always organized the guy. She always got her way. But she struck for better pay. She showed her card to the National Guard. And this is what she said. Oh, you can't scare me. I'm sticking to the union. I'm sticking to the union. I'm sticking to the union. Oh, you can't scare me. I'm sticking to the union. I'm sticking to the union. Till the day I die Yeah, cows, if you want to be free Just take this little tip from me Get you a man who's a union man And fight together for liberty Cause married life ain't hard When you got a union card And union man has a happy life When he's got a union wife Oh, you can't scare me I'm sticking to the union I'm sticking to the union I'm sticking to the union. Oh, you can't scare me. I'm sticking to the union. I'm sticking to the union. To the day I die. Oh, you can't scare me. I'm sticking to the union. I'm sticking to the union. I'm sticking to the union. Oh, you can't scare me. I'm sticking to the union. I'm sticking to the union. To the day I die. I've just, I've just kind of like to bring this all full circle. I'm, I'm just thinking if there's some 15-year-old kid in Benicia listening to this right now who's thinking about picking up a guitar and has no idea what the fuck to do with their life, what would you say to him? Try to keep open mind. <laughs> yeah, if you're playing the guitar, play what you love. And, um, you know, that doesn't mean it's always like what's popular. I mean, if you love what's popular, play what's popular, you'd be successful a lot sooner than I was. But I, I never really played what was popular. I always played what I loved, you know, and um, try to listen to that inner voice, <laughs> you know, to listen to your gut and play what makes you happy. Yeah. You can create your own world, you know, in the middle of a really crappy situation if you, like, embrace that musical spirit, I guess. Cool. So if people want to check out your music, they can go to BillCollinsGuitar.com. BillCollinsGuitar.com. The nice thing that's on the website is like my discography up to a certain point. Yeah. You know, so you can find a lot of that stuff online, even though you can't listen to it on the website. But um, it'll also tell you like, if you're interested in, in getting the, the Rabble Rouser CD, like the, the information, uh, like you can buy it, how to buy it there. But, um, you know, go unions. Unions are the counterbalance to like the corporate asshole, you know, Slave drivers. It, um, that's why we have a middle class. That's why we have a middle class. And if you trace, if you trace the history of the unions, um, 
you know, in regards to the middle class, middle class was always stronger when the unions were the strongest. Yeah. And now that the union unions have been declining in membership due to various like underhanded dirty tricks and stuff like that, uh, our middle class is just fading away, fading away, fading away. So if you want to support the middle class and make the people who aren't quite middle class yet have an easier life, support your local unions. Cool. Any last thing you want to let people know before we uh, get you to play us some songs? Oh, God, I got to play it too, don't I? Uh- <laughs> well, I got I got the Rebel Rouser CD in my car out front, but I mean, you know, I wouldn't mind hearing you play. I, I could try. Uh, let's see. Anything else? Any other thoughts? Don't be an asshole and don't be an old fart. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Bill. <laughs> You're welcome. Thanks for having me. We've got them in a clinch, so don't give up on it. Hold the line, lads and lassies, hold there. Hold the line, lads and lassies, hold there. Stand up, the tall and proud. Shout your feelings loud. Hold the line, lads and lassies, hold there. Don't give up the fight. Now don't give up the fight For what you know is right Now don't give up the fight Don't give up a yard Now don't give up a yard Don't you drop your guard And don't give up a yard Hold the line lads and lassies Hold there Hold the line lads and lassies Hold, hold there Stand up now tall and proud Shout your feelings loud Hold the line lads and lassies Hold there One, hold on They're nearly on the road Stick like clothes. Hold there. Hey, you say they'll tuck their tails and flay. Hold there. Four, we score. They're headed for the door. Up at all, their castles do the fall, so don't give up at all. Hold the line, lads and lassies, hold there. Hold the line, lads and lassies, hold, hold there. Stand up, not tall and proud, shout your feelings loud. Hold the line, lads and lassies, hold there. Hold the line, lads and lassies, hold there. Hold the line, lads and lassies, hold, hold there. Stand up, not tall and proud, shout your feelings loud. Hold the You guys want to help me do I Say Union? Union Now, Union Now, huh? Can you sing that? Can you you do the nows on the Union Now? You guys got to come over here to do that? I know that was one that you liked off the record. Oh, I love that one.
say now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> pretty, much, it's, it's, pretty much sums it up. <laughs> this is one of the ones I usually play like at the gigs. That people like this one. But okay, so here we go. So I say union, you say now. Union, they say no, round and around and around we go. It's time to take our stand, we know. They want to run the whole damn show. I say union, you say now, union, now, union, now. We're on the move and we won't back down. The union's coming to your town. They don't want to pay us what we're worth. They don't want to pay us what they owe. They don't want to pay a living wage. Time to stand up and say no. I say union, you say now. Union, now. Union, now. We're on a move and we won't back down. The union's coming to your town. Now's the time to make a sound. Now's the time to stand our ground. No more we'll be pushed around. We got the power to shut them down. I say union, you say now. Union, now. Union, now. We're on a move and we won't back down. The union's coming to your town. Why are we here? Just because we're dedicated to the union cause. We'll make some noise, raise a fuss, show our power to the big bad boss. I say union, you say now. Union, now. Union, now. We're on the move and we won't back down. The union's coming to your town. Union, now. Union, now. Union, now. Union, now. Union, now. Union, now. The union's coming to your town. That was great, you guys. Alright. Okay, God told me to. Oh, actually, I would like to dedicate this one to all the asshole politicians who just try to get power by pretending how religious they are. Because they're a bunch of fucking liars. And I originally wrote this one for George Bush and Carl Rowe. So, anyways. Okay. Fuck those guys. Good actors they are. They look so sincere. When making a speech, watch them squeeze out a tear. Tell us they're so holy. The good Lord they thank. Off camera, they laugh all the way to the bank. Speechwriters at agencies wake up a slogan, guaranteed to wrench hearts and get sympathy flowing. They lead we the people like a bull by the nose. They feed us the stuff a bull drops on the road. How they justify all the things that they do It's just one more lie they say God told me to Sing it! Whoa, God told me to God told me to It's just one more lie they say God told me to They know how to sugarcoat each bitter pill First they'll bankrupt you, then they'll send you the bill. They'll look you in the eyes 
while they're stopping here, back and use the scriptures as filler when they run short on facts. How they just defy all the things that they do. It's just one more lie they say God told me to. Whoa, God told me to. God told me to. It's just one more lie they say God told me to. At the end of the day, then it's no big surprise what they said to the public that the average Joe buys. Take their hidden agenda and they give it a spin. They call us a traitor if we're not buying in. How oh, they just file the things that they do It's just one more lie they say God told me to Whoa, God told me to God told me to It's just one more lie they say God told me to They say God gave them the money, God gave them the might, God gave them a mandate to show us the light. They say it's not lust for power, no, it all stems from love, and they were just following orders from the man up above. How they justify all the things that they do, it's just one more lie they say God told me to. Whoa, God told me to, God told me to It's just one more lie they say God told me to Whoa, God told me to, God told me to Like serial killers they say God told me to and all the way to church. Special thanks to Eric Kaur and Bill Collins for that amazing interview. We're going to leave you with one more song by the Rabble Rousers from their CD, New Hard Times. This one entitled New Hard Times. Thanks again for listening to Music Live Radio and we'll catch you next time.